This episode of Lightning Strikes Thrice is brought to you by our All Right patrons, patrons such as Joanne Rittenauer and Michael Mays. If you want to help us keep making the show like they do, you can visit pitchdrop.cash and contribute as little as a buck a month. We really appreciate it. listening to lightning strikes thrice the jrpg games club podcast that tripped and fell off a skyscraper like a putz this is season 8 episode 11 covering the acute neurosis treatment facility can't believe matt's not here and the climax of disc <laughs> one in episode three. I, i'm your host chris taylor and my pronouns are he him and with me today is dr Sybil arnett she her ryan Beatty, they them Matt can't be here because he's busy getting treatment for his acute neurosis inside of a war zone. (laughs) (laughs) Someone tell me what happened last episode. On our Valentine's recording, everyone got a love story. Fabronia and Virgil died and undied and redied together. (laughs) Jin whipped the shit out of his ex, Pellegree, who probably deserved it for carrying around his clothes for God knows how long. (laughs) Xion had a dissociative event after being confronted with the fact that the Red Testament, who was Roth Mantell, was also her ex-lover, Kevin, somehow not close to death. Did she actually find out that that's Roth Mantell? I don't remember that part. I don't know if she knows that Kevin is Roth yet. I believe they revealed already that uh, Roth was the Red Testament before we got here, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking about the other direction. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She didn't put two and two together like out loud, but it all the cast has been given all the clues at this point. Yeah. The camera knows at least. Yes. Uh, Margulis kept thinking of Jin when nobody asked. God. <laughs> and finally, a very traumatized baby Xi'an is in the possession of the party as we head to the acute neurosis treatment facility. And by God, adult Xi'an is going to keep her mother alive in the middle of the now active Milshin conflict. Romance. <laughs> this so, episode is the MILF and conflict where we try to save that MILF. Damn right. <laughs> save the MILF is my favorite screenwriting how to book. Imagine saving whales when MILFs exist. <laughs> save the MILF, save your load. That hero season one tagline. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. Okay. So, God, fucking. Just real quick, save the cheerleader, save the world. That storyline is so gross because Milo Ventimiglia was actively dating Hayden Panettiere when he was 32 and she was 16. And it just that that whole season one storyline is grody as fuck because of that. Anyway, as we resume, we are heading into a massive tunnel outside of town, the old transportation gate. This place is basically a gear check. If you can't take on the enemies here, you need to power up or get good. At each room in the long hallway, there is a conveyor belt that you can activate. 
do so, and it will move a cargo container to the end of the hall where you can explode it for treasure. The second one of these, you have to make sure to kill the roaming URTVs, in, or not URTVs, kill the roaming touched realians, because you have to activate a second conveyor belt, and if you get into a battle, that box can disappear and make you have to like phase out of the room and phase back in. Ugh. It was annoying. I killed all of these guys and learned a mm-hmm. raging C2, which is nice. very good. <laughs> <laughs> So when you finally emerge, you're in the middle of the city and it is no longer just in bad shape like when we left. It is now on fucking fire with overturned vehicles, soldiers and paths made exclusively of piled debris. They do a great job this time of reusing the environment and making it feel different. I love it. Yeah, but also the fire looks extremely bad. It's like Windows 98 (laughs) movie maker fire. Yeah. Well, While yes, you're right. That's true, but I still I appreciate even it. not emulated on the native hardware. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few federal reports scattered amidst the carnage. If you want to pursue that side quest, or just read a bunch more of the data log, and finally, after a lot of orange and a lot of flute on the soundtrack, we return to Labyrinthos again, again. But this time, we're actually going up to the ant testing facility again. Uh, the sorry, the ant treatment facility the actual hospital instead of going the down ant to facility. the, uh, the T is treatment. Oh love, God. It's like cat test all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, love, love to test ants. <laughs> what is what this? Is this? A <laughs> hospital <Yep>. for ants? <laughs> Damn it. I don't Good. know what that is. Oh, it's a bit from Zoolander. Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 I haven't seen that in a long time. Also, I held it back, but I don't know what some 41 is either. I was just able to make the joke. <laughs> It's a punk pop band. Yep. It's my my department. They're, the incredible shit is their first big hit was one of those like where the verses were wrapped and one oh, of the no! goes like, my mom said she should have had an abortion, 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 abortion. Yes. Like they repeat <laughs> it abortion. endlessly until the song it's, picks back up. It's so Civil. fucking weird. I need to apologize for the most savage mirror emoji reaction I have ever deployed, and it was against you. <laughs> oh, but I saw it was that the other day. The perfect opportunity. I would be disappointed in myself if I let I it go by. Actually, <laughs> had to stop myself writing that <laughs> rant out because I was this close to going, "You fuck." <laughs> I was like, was "This good. might be the meanest emoji I've ever used." It is. Yeah. It, it, the mirror emoji is is deployed for nothing but cruelty. That's not it's true. Great. I deploy it for compliments all the time. Uh-huh. Just not in a Discord that you guys are in. I deploy <laughs> in the cute pictures channel and someone else says, you're looking good. And then I respond to that with an emoji. Okay, that is good. Nice. So let me, I'm going to just retake. But this time we're going to the actual hospital, the ant facility, instead of down into the dregs of Labyrinthos. There, Matt, you have that clean if you need it. Yeah, fuck you, Matt. Walking in. (laughs) 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 I gotta recalibrate. (laughs) It's obvious there's a choke cut. Walking in, Xion immediately has another Udu attack. She swears she's fine, but young Xion runs ahead because the timeline says she needs to be there to get PTSD, and someone's <laughs> got to keep these trains running on time. <laughs> and whoever you have, whoever's your party leader, will remind you no using traps in the hospital. Bobo's is very good. She's like, I guess we shouldn't blow up traps here. It's very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
The PA system will tell us that the elevators are inoperable during this crisis, and it will tell you over and over again in case you forget. So we get to take the long way. And uh, if you ignore the PA system like Chris Taylor and go to the elevator anyway, a squad of Berserk Realians ambush you, but you get a sweet sword for Jin. Mm. So worth mm-hmm. love, love to kill some Realians for swords. There are a couple of really good environmental moves in this dungeon to break up a long staircase because otherwise this dungeon would just be proto Merkaba all over again. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there's stuff like uh, you got to cross the floor because it's broken here. And then there's great stuff like when you cross over to the other side where the, it was broken on the way up, but it's not broken on the way down. So you can go down an extra floor, fight some guys for treasure, like blowing up piping to put out fires. They make it feel really good. I like it. I really enjoy those little environmental details. When you put out the fire with that water, I went, hell yeah. Or like how the, the enemies will just wait until you put out the fire, then they'll rush you. Uh-huh. It's my favorite dungeon in the game so far, just because the vibe matches the story and the dungeon mini puzzles match the story. It's really good. Like it. Mm-hmm. Very successful. Uh, so on floor two inside one of the monitor rooms, a group of staff and survivors are holed up. If you found all eight federal reports, Loria on the left will give you Decoder 07. The address is right outside behind some debris. This unlocks the unfortunately named Ring of Coercion, an incredibly handy accessory that nullifies enemy revenge and counter on the wearer. Also, shout out to Louis C.K., who's hopefully in hell by the time this comes out. (laughs) (laughs) That was the the single funniest tweet I've seen in this conflict was just, oh God, it would be so funny if Russia blows up Louis (laughs) C.K. Still a chance. He can't leave the company. He can't leave the country. Yep. Outside, the hallway is full of Berserk Realians behind a barricade. If you destroy the barricade with one of the targets, have fun reenacting the hallway fight from Old Boy. It if was you des- fun. Yeah. If you destroy the electrical box next to it, it's like a super trap and it shocks everyone until you leave the screen, allowing you to back attack each one by one or just run past. Yeah. Back attacking them all here was amazing because I was using Junior for story reasons because I was like, well, Junior's a URTV. So he was like built to, you know, wreck these mm-hmm. realians, to, to touch you to and wreck these realians. And so back attack and then storm waltz on all of these just yes. like one hit killed every single mob. It was so satisfying. And I got storm waltz up to level four in the process. Oh, yeah. I What I... I think my favorite thing in this dungeon is at this point, if you've been focusing on a single skill tree, you're like cresting the wave and just fucking flexing on all these nerds. It's so good. At the end of this hallway is another room with a survivor. Inside, a man named Rosley is being attacked by a Berserk Realian. He will mention that the news is currently broadcasting things about this incident, and if you want to watch it on the monitor, this is a reused cutscene from Xenosaga 2, I believe the intro of the game. Yeah, mm. when you see the footage and Helmer's talking to um, Kanan, that's where it's from. Also, I was very excited to get to that room and said, haha, fuck you, glad you're dead, and then opened that chest and left. <laughs> Honestly, even though it's a reuse, it's implementation because now we're in the middle of it. It feels scary. The, the, well, that, that they also chop well it up cut. different. They chop yeah. it up different because it was presented. It was presented on a monitor with a news mm-hmm. chiron around it and then longer footage. And then they got rid of the news chiron and chopped up the footage to make it feel more chaotic. 
because I went yeah, and rewatched yeah, yeah. that intro bit just to compare, and it's like very chaotic. What the video you see, it's wild. Nice. Yeah, it it's good shit. So from about this point on, while the U.S. release looks just as gray and sterile as before, this sequence and many more cutscenes up until the end of disc one are much gorier. Right now, what that means is that there are trails of blood near most bodies and stains across the walls. It's real horror show shit. It reminds me of the bloody hallways in the Ellie cutscenes of Xenogears a lot, and it just it it's got a real horror show vibe in the undub. It's great. Another set of fire escape stairs will lead you past the inaccessible third floor to floor four. And the instant you walk in, two things occur. The first is that the PA system will announce the division chiefs need to manage their individual fire response, and that the second is a man named Maltia, trapped behind glass, is going to scream for you to save him from the absolute monstrosities on this floor. It is flooded with failed experiments, like the Byproduct series, but also more Berserk Realians, which is an extreme horror show. Also, okay, so... So mad about this fire system. Yeah. Well, why do people turn it on? And then why does it turn off when the fire's out instead of continuing to go? Because the point of sprinklers is not to just put out the fire, but to increase the fire resistance of the entire building to make it take four times longer to burn before the Mm -hmm. services get there. The (laughs) that is very funny. You take that's the answer. Right. The I pay this fire bill. There is a weird little, it's not a puzzle, but there's a weird section in the, so in the room full of Realian experiments that you have to go through in order to like go around and get to the fire suppression, there's this really bizarre mechanic that they don't explain super well where on a lower floor, they tell you which Realian model numbers are at risk for disease and then you can read you read the model numbers on top and it tells you and what the game wants you to do is avoid the diseased ones and only free the ones that are of the model numbers that aren't tainted and then they'll thank you and often give you something but i wasn't sure if they wanted me to eradicate the diseased ones and that i would get something so i ended up destroying every glass jar anyway even though i knew the four model numbers that were diseased turns out yeah if you kill all the bad ones you don't get shit except for battles but if you free the good ones some good stuff happens let's be real you get like a hundred skill points which is a lot i'm chris taylor so i blew them up before even trying to interact with them despite having written down the list of infected models (laughs) i'm a thing to blow up i'm gonna blow these up and I was like, I guess I like fighting guys. I'm going to blow all of them up. Oh, look, free yes. items. We committed a genocide, Ryan. <laughs> look, you gotta. <laughs> look, you gotta is not the right answer to that. <laughs> oh, sorry. That long pause was me want to, trying to determine if I wanted to say sometimes it's justifiable. <laughs> look. I was trying to think of what, a, what genocide of Catholics that I could use to back it up. We haven't yet, so there's always room to try. <laughs> the look my wife gave me the other day, and I was like, it's fine, they're papists, they deserve it. <laughs> if Xenosaga agrees with you on anything, it's definitely that. Yeah, eat shit, papist dogs. To save Maltia, you need to cross up and around to the room's south exit. and then once The you IRA this... are papists. The what? The IRA are all papists. Look, they're problematic faves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. The problem is they're papists. 
That's right. <laughs> I can handle Sorry, that after we get rid of the English pig dogs. Right. That's yeah. right. Okay, good. Yeah. That's right. The English bigger villains than papists. Not by uh, much. Somehow. And this is the IRA, enemy of my enemy thing right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. your songs are good. Love my little Armalite shout outs. <laughs> I was not allowed to have speakers at my office because sometimes I just wanted to listen to IRA songs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I am never allowed to sing along in our office after one time where I was humming along to uh, Kerosene. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to save Maltia, you need to cross up and around to the room's south exit. And then once you enter this room, stay as close as Maltia as possible while moving around debris to reach him. If you go too far west in this room, he dies instantly. And if you take too long to reach him after entering this room, he dies. There are a lot of ways to fuck this up. I did this right on accident. And you just kill the guy there and he gives you an EP upgrade, which is pretty good. And if you let him die, you still get the chest for the decoder five near his body. And it's there if he lives, too. So it's fine, I guess you can let him go. The people who want to have EP already have a lot. This floor contains a lot of random NPCs and side rooms. And now that you've saved Multia, you feel free to explore them. One of whom is Didi, who gives you the HP upgrade for saving her. And Chadley, that dickhead who wouldn't let you open the chest and is dead now. Fuck you. Fucking Chadley. Mm-hmm. Also, I blew up all your servers. Didn't get anything. Just did it because it was fun. <laughs> the others are all sorts of... <laughs> There's also a lot of Berserk Reallians here. There's like this part where you can optionally put out fires to save some Reallians who are like, oh, I'm not infected, but my friends are infected, except for the one guy who's like, I feel the infection starting. And then you like can't do anything about it. And I'm like, have fun, I guess. Bye. So here's the thing. That guy has a dialogue prompt with the square button if you engage that oh i did do that actually he does flip out and attack you otherwise he's just in a holding pattern tell me more about how you're feeling psychotic (laughs) yeah it's it's uh it's a voight test you know tell me about your mother oh you're just (laughs) no you're just doing monster style therapy to him Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> a little joke for similar. <laughs> As opposed to some kind of monster therapy, which is a little joke for Ryan. <laughs> Fuck. Ryan and Monster, a character, gets hypnosis regression therapy and then remembers that they're a murderer and starts choking out their therapist. Oh, so it's like an episode of Hannibal. Just a normal yeah. episode of Hannibal. <laughs> that show does not think highly of therapists. <laughs> Oh, me neither, to be fair. Well, thank God I changed majors. They're just playing tic-tac-toe over there for two hours. I wish I got paid for that. The last five people that I have gone on internet dates with have all been therapists, and I don't know that until we're actually, like, at the date. It's it's like they're springing the fact that they're poly or ethically non-monogamous on me without saying it beforehand, but they're therapists. I don't know why I attract them. I'm crazy. They shouldn't be attracted to me. No, no. <gasps> As a near therapist, let me tell you, that's who we all find ourselves with because we think we can <laughs> fix them. That's exactly what I was about to say. (laughs) Yes, that is just the shit that is innate to us because we're thinking, no, we're built different. We're the one. (laughs) Right. All of us. Ryan has a type, and the type is people who respond to, please help me in a DM. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. This is such an own on me you don't even know. (laughs) Oh, I know. (sighs) Sometimes you can dunk into two nuts at once. (laughs) (laughs) 
the matless trio of the three of us without a guest to regulate is just real chaos hours. Can Mester what does Mr. Fantastic? There should be an episode where he wins a three point contest, three point shooting contest by dunking from the three point line. <laughs> yeah, that would be very yeah. good to me. Uh, that so joke good. has been made. Good. Fuck. Good. Okay, perfect. So, one little quick thing that we've mentioned here and there across previous episodes, but there's just like one line of dialogue that really justifies the fact that some realians went berserk and some didn't, which is just that they activated the Song of Nephilim before it was complete. And I really liked that as a justification, even though it's like one little baby sentence, it totally it aids tremendously in the well, feeling of this place on the dungeon ecology. There's more to it, and it ties into the conversation we had about the Song of Nephilim and the hive mind that Realians have, which mm-hmm. is that they don't go berserk until after they connect back to the main network for maintenance. So mm-hmm. the Song of Nephilim is driving the hive mind insane, and then when people go in for like maintenance, they touch the tainted mind and go berserk. Ah, uh, super fucking rough to, yeah. Like, to- that's what plants the seeds in them. Just go, going in for a physical and having your mind completely broken by the doctor. Good shit. Yeah, it's called a cancer diagnosis. It's called fuck, a colonoscopy, fuck. buddy. <laughs> he puts his finger in there and then you fucking become a bloodborne guy. <laughs> <laughs> also, coming at this sequence with my current job, let me tell you there was a horrifying realization about lot control on people. Mm. Oh, this is the good batch. Ugh. Fuck. Fuck. Thinking, thinking about thinking about the movie Teeth, but it's in your butthole for your colonoscopy <laughs> and you just own your doctor. <laughs> I sadly can no longer call myself the throat goat because I gagged on the endoscopy scope. Aw. <laughs> what did you think of? <laughs> The implication that you went around calling yourself the throat goat to other people. (laughs) Alright, that's pretty good. Uh, So when you finally reach the opposing stairs on this floor, a cutscene begins. In the Labyrinthos command bunker, the scientists and UTIC staff are monitoring their experiment from safety. Mizrahi comes in and immediately begins tearing into Sellers, who's leading the operation. Is this what you wanted? Sellers just shrugs him off. Don't tell me you came to stop this old man. Mizrahi says that Lemageton, the words of God, must not be recited because it is not what we believed it was, and also it is incomplete, meaning it's going to do even more catastrophic things. Sellers, Mm. though, does not care, saying... You made this asshole your fault. Heinlein and Sellers agree whatever happens here is worth the data obtained on the Zohar. And while we're at it, we did this ten minutes ago. It started. Fuck you. Yeah. There is so much fucking data in this game. Every fucking villain wants some data again and again. Just, it's like, it is It is the sacred currency of the Xenosaga universe is data. So I'm going to I'm going to just make a horrendous comparison here but the Milshid conflict was basically this setting's holocaust where every asshole 
with 20 bucks and a pitch to Heinlein, decided, hey, can we try this if we're taking all the ethics off the table for a week? Because no one's going to live. God, yeah. Because all the data gathering was in the past. Mm. It's just what the purge is, but in Silicon Valley. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. please don't tempt me with something so beautiful. <laughs> no, it's what the, it's what the STEM right. wards do. Yeah, no, it's the... <laughs> Oh, I thought you meant I got... Imagining Peter Thiel's, like, black bag trucks where he goes out and rounds up a bunch of young, virulent children to drain the blood out of. I thought you meant I got to set IEDs at a fucking Google building. I was so hyped. I would love to. Last night at the bar I was at on my date, there was a couple next to me who, one of them got Peter Thiel confused with Seattle Mariners columnist Art Thiel, who wrote a book on the Mariners, and so... The guy started like talking about Art Teal, and the other guy who I liked for the most part was like, Art Teal is a fucking sicko. He he's a fucking he doesn't deserve to live. He's the worst poison. And I was like, oh, damn, no. this guy really hates baseball. Um, it was great. Good mix. Okay. So we cut from all of this to FMV Town and Trauma Town. Let's go. Suo Uzuki is running against the evacuating staff to try to reach his wife's room. At said room, Lil Xion is already at the door, trying to make her way inside. Suo arrives, sees his daughter, and then also sees a 27-series Asura creeping towards her through a shattered window because they were climbing on the fucking walls of the building. This is on the roof. Oh, right, on the roof. Oh my god, so scary. So that means that the last time that Xion sees her father alive is when he opens the door to Aoi's room, hurls Xion inside, and locks her in with an intense stare as he goes to die. In the hallway, as more 27 series arrive, Suo tries to call Jin, but Jin is not responding, probably because in past Milsha, he's sword fighting with Margulis and getting his anime rival rocks off, which I, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be mm. there so bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted the Time Splitters 3 ending, but with multiple gins fighting Margulis. Oh, that would have been so good. <laughs> but sadly, we have to get dramatic irony and horrible tragedy instead. What happens is just as good. Yeah, yeah. it's true. So, Suo's final words are a plea that if Jin gets this message, he has to get to the facility and save Xion, which he does, but, you know, 15 years later, 10 years later. No, he does. I, yeah, okay, yeah, I guess he does. Um, How do you think she got off the planet? Well, with future Jin, obviously. No, I know, I know, got it. Okay, so he then gets totally ganked inside the that, room. That just means he has a sick sword fight with Margulis and then checks his voicemail mm-hmm. immediately <laughs> after. <laughs> well, we know he disengages that mission right after the Margulis fight. I know, right. what a weird freak row. Imagine having, like, the sickest anime sword fight of your life, and then, like, oh, I wonder who called. <laughs> I would absolutely do that. Let's be real. Probably <laughs> because I was on my way to tweet about having the sickest anime sword fight of all. That, <laughs> Jin would do that. Yeah. And that is what yeah. you would do also. He would just paint a scroll about it instead of tweet. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. So... Inside the room, Xion is all nerves. She's curled up beside her mom's coma bed, and the lightning is scaring her even more, which now we understand why lightning gives her such PTSD in the present as adult Xion. She hears a noise at the door, says, Daddy? And then 
all she sees from where she's sitting is her father's corpse just like smashed against a wall by a 27 series. And this goes pretty down good pretty force much on how that. he goes horizontally. Really good force on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's brutal. They pitch goes, him like a fastball. That's right. Uh huh. Fastball special. So this goes down well, pretty much the how the balls he saw are moving it. at the same speed he is. <laughs> God. So we see Shion hiding under the bed, and then the Asuras all see Aoi's sleeping form, and then they just begin like stabbing her th- through the bed over and over and over again until we cut away. There are gouts of blood in the undubbed version, and like, okay, yes. I also would probably completely dissociate this out of my memory if my last memory of my parents alive was like hiding under the bed while one of them got butchered to death directly on top of me. Hate this to is be the in sci-fi funny games. I was going to say <sighs> this is the origin of multiple <laughs> slasher villains. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. It would be funny if Disc Two Shion just goes full slasher villain. It's not going to happen, but it would be cool. Shion just gets buff, wears a hockey mask, and starts walking around Vector with a knife. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. She's too busy being sad. Yeah, instead, she could have been Voyager, too. She could have been a- she could have become a testament by going ham after this. Mmm, we got a whole other disc. Yeah, okay, true. After this, we just go back to being in a hallway. <laughs> At the uh, very bottom half of the building, there's an ES CPU, which is a nice upgrade. And then we have to go up to the fifth floor so we can continue the plot. As you approach, you see the hallway is full of corpses. Cosmos will take Xion's prompting and say that her younger self's life signs are still active. And also that there are three unknown realians with her. And we head in. We see the Asuras over Aoi's corpse. And it sends adult Shion into a rage and she just charges in shoulder checks one and then is like, oh, no, I didn't think about this. And then you get into like a quote unquote boss fight that's roughly as difficult as the four berserk realians of the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You K-Pike them in the fight's over. So adult Shion just falls oh. to her knee. Oh, one thing. Did you? Momo yeah. satellite two one shots all these guys instant nice. one turn. You're done. Yeah. They're weak to beam, and you have three women who can all do beam attacks. Good job. They have less HP combined than Virgil. Yeah. So, adult Shion just falls to her knees, saddened that even forewarned and 15 years older, she still could not save her family. Sucks to suck. Both of you saw the uh, uncut version of this cutscene, right? Yes. I'm aware of what it is. Yeah. Baby Xion, holy fucking shit. Uh-huh. 
She is trying to catch the blood coming out of her mother and put it back in, growing more and more frantic because she figures that's the only way that she cannot lose her only remaining parent. If you are watching this in the U.S. version, all of the blood is removed, so it looks like she's just making a prayer gesture going, put it back in, put it back in, put it back in. Yeah, it it loses so much without the gore, because this scene is terrifying and impactful and deeply sad. And it is all of those things in the U.S. version, but there is an added layer of baffling goofiness that totally undercuts it for me. It turns into a comedy by accident. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. the censored, it's like the Chinese censored ending of Fight Club. Uh-huh. Yeah. You may as well say it for the people who don't know. I'm not going to say it. I can look it up. <laughs> I can link it in the show notes, which means he won't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. <laughs> if only Matt uh-huh. liked you more. So, um, Jin starts trying to comfort the child, probably because he knows what's about to happen and this is his attempt to change the past. But baby Xion screams and the Zohar awakens in the basement. Full on mm. gamer LED lights across the surface like we've never seen the thing go off let's, before. Let's fucking go. Oh, oh yeah. also this episode we get an answer to that thing I wanted to know about, which is when all of the vessels of anima link up with the Zohar. Yes. Yep. Yes. Good good catch on that lightning thing, by the way. Oh yeah. I I would not have remembered it had Sybil not put it in the notes also. So that was a tag team. Oh, was it in here? Yeah. Well the Sorry, I don't, look at, I don't PT- look at the notes if I'm not reading. <laughs> the part about the PTSD was not, but but Sybil was clearly referencing that because she put the lightning in the notes explicitly. Yeah, this this is the event that gave her that trauma. So Yeah. So God. Remember in Xenosaga 1 where Mizrahi was street preaching as the skies opened up into glyphs and an aurora borealis filled the heavens? And it wasn't Mizrahi, after all. It was a Xion's trauma awakening the Zohar and calling the Gnosis here. And so we see the fucking whale Gnosis is back. Let's go. Love it. Ugh. And at that point, when he goes out to do his speech... It's the full Mizrahi redemption arc. They did it. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Because, and because, go ahead. All they had to do was just show you what happened before and after the speech. Mm-hmm. Of rocks. Yeah. He was just like, you know what? I had to take responsibility and like stop this. And maybe if I have to destroy the planet, it's fine because I'm saving the universe. And then it's like, oh, wow, that sermon is thematically relevant, in fact. It's, ugh, it's so good. I was so skeptical of the Mizrahi redemption shit when it was so focused on Momo's relationship with her dad, yeah. and it felt very hand-wavy. Uh, but well, the, it he's taking full responsibility. Also, is I, I is this in the notes? They, Hang on. They also fixed the hand-waviness of it. By just saying, oh, yeah, it's fine. That's that she's not my daughter. It's just another equally valuable life. And I'm right. happy with that. Also, the fact that it wasn't a building follow falling on sellers that put him in a wheelchair. It was fucking Mizrahi yes. icing his legs. Oh, yes. Oh, that rocks so hard. That was he's just, so he's, good. He just goes, blah. And I go, yo. <laughs> I remembered how it happened. I forgot Mizrahi carefully taking aim, and then lowering the gun for maximum damage. Yes! Oh, it's so good. Fucking suck on it, fucker. Yes. (laughs) So, 
adult Xi'an is really not taking all of this well at all as she sees can't, her younger can't self. Can't imagine why. Right? Yes. She sees her younger self T-posing and the heavens opening up with the Gnosis being summoned to Milsha. Jin tries to calm her down, but she rejects him because, like, yeah, Jesus, just stumbling backwards away from the party and having the second half of a mental break that began with the Red Testament revelation a few hours prior, pour one out for Shion's psyche this entire game. And then, as Jin tries to restrain her and Alan tries to talk her down, adult Shion screams out, and this time, a light shoots out to the heavens. Whew! We zoom out from the planet entirely, and then we find out that the event is visible from space. <laughs> Just outside of the Milshan orbit, a plot threat that everyone forgot about reappears in its Abel's Ark baby, with the strong implication that the Gnosis didn't magically appear. They came in from another alternate reality and can travel between them. Because to me, this implies that it's the current Abel's Ark, not the alternate universe Abel's Ark. Mm. Here to get the Zohar that they were denied? No, they haven't. Oh, okay. Maybe, hey, look, why not too? Yeah. Abel's Ark is such an enormous ship, and it's so weird because it's It looks like a wizard's like, staff. Yeah, yeah. Exact, exactly. It looks like a wizard's staff, or like someone tried to stretch a Celtic knot wrong. It's wild. Junior is just the worst type of lore geek, and he's like, hey, that didn't happen in the past. Shut the fuck up, Junior. <laughs> you're, already, you're already out of the story. Bye. Mm. Jin explains this that this isn't the past, with uh, Chaos helping out. He's just saying, this is basically a UMN dive created from Xion's memories, trying to correct in the present what they were unable to accomplish in the past. And in the doorway, Kevin reappears and goes, yeah, you are correct. Mizrahi and Albedo didn't do this. It was Shion all along. And Alan's like, oh, chief. And then the best scene, maybe one of the best scenes in all of JRPGs, suck at Sephiroth turning around in Nibelheim. This scene yeah. rocks. This mm -hmm. is great. I have been trying to avoid ruining any of this the entire game because I've known the payoff. This scene is like Thank greatest all-time JRPG moment shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yes, this, this is, is like this is like when Yuna falls through Titus levels of good. Yeah. The way that convoluted revelations happen in JRPGs is usually attempting for some crazy emotional impact, but it almost never achieves it. This did. Well, because this is not adding complexity. This is mm -hmm. removing complexity and adding mm -hmm. emotional weight in doing so. Yes. Yes. So, Alan, Jin, and Xion immediately recognize him on site because they knew this asshole. Everyone else just starts going, wait, this is the nerd who made Cosmos? <laughs> Junior has a great read on, he was Xion's boyfriend? In this tone of, how the <laughs> hell did he pull that off? And Momo <laughs> instead is like, that's a testament, though, because I guess she judges who her girlfriends date. It's very funny that Junior couldn't pick this up because his whole deal was negging Momo also. <laughs> Peas in a pod, homie. And Kevin walks in and just starts giving the absolute scumbag bad boyfriend talk. <clears throat> Have you forgotten what I looked like? Well, I did all these horrible things for you, Xion, when she calls him out on what was your younger self doing? And finally, come with me. Ugh. 
God, I was literally yelling at the screen. He's manipulating you again, Shion. Well, Don't do it, Shion. He's manipulating you again. Kind of. Kind of. Because it like Kevin, younger Kevin was not doing it directly for Shion, but indirectly for Shion, in that this is research for everyone affected by her thing. Well, but like the thing that I hate so much is oh, that he's definitely trying to get his way right now. But what he says is not necessarily untrue. What he said about the past. Well, it, he says that he became a testament in order to save Shion, essentially, that he decided to become a monster to get enough power to help Shion, because that's the only way, you know, that that she could save him. But then why is Kid Kevin such a piece of garbage to Kid Shion? Like, we don't... Well, mm. because he's an asshole. And I think yeah. what current Kevin is implying is that he wants to kill or destroy Udu, which mm. is why he would need that much power to save Shion. Because of her, because of the nature of her affliction, destroying Udu also resolves it. Okay, so... Let's talk about this, because you were talking about why is Kid Kevin such an asshole to Kid Shion? What changes? Here's what you need to know. Here's the piece I don't think anyone puts together because it's not spoken on screen. He becomes so interested in Shion, this bratty kid he hated, because he was here. He saw her summon the Gnosis, and suddenly she's not a piece of shit. She's... This is the ultimate data. This is what I need to keep by. This is going to solve my problems. Oh, yeah. my God. He's even more of a garbage man than I thought. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <sighs> I, I. Does he want to destroy? Does Testament want to destroy Udu? That's how this reads to me if you are going to take what he says at face value. I am not going to tell you what the Red Testament yeah. is up to because it's a huge part of disc two. Great. Yeah, disc, disc two is where I remember we finally shift to Wilhelm and the Testaments after two and a half games of foreshadowing Wilhelm. Well, it, it's really interesting because that time isn't wasted. It's it spent doing like one of the, the, the most in-depth yes. character study on Xi'an. Totally, yes. <gasps> I don't know if I have hated a minor villain in a video game more than I hate Kevin. They have done such a good job of creating this sniveling little piss baby of a character who is tremendously powerful, is also a shitty manipulative boyfriend, and and is going in an arc that is opposite to a lot of the previous villains of the game who they have retroactively redeemed with Mizrahi and Virgil and even to an extent Suo. All three of those have had some kind of redemption, and Kevin is just getting worse and worse. I think the only character, fictional character I hate more than Kevin is Mahito from Jujutsu Kaisen. Hmm. Powerful villain. Good hmm. job, Kevin. So, Junior's reaction to all this is the only reasonable one, because he just starts going, what the fuck gives you the right? And Kevin silences him. <laughs> Jin takes the more measured approach, which is just asking... You want to explain why my sister should go with you, fuckboy? Yeah. And Kevin says he has a good reason. Shion inherited the same disease that killed her mother, and her headaches are the first onset symptoms. So, 
Jin is then like, all right, so if you know so much about this, I presume you can explain the cause that nobody else found. And Kevin is like, yeah, actually. He Get says, while the, yeah, while the strength of their power differed, every test subject in this facility possessed the same ability as Xion. The subjects are capable of communicating with Udu. He further explains that humans cannot take the continued stress of communicating with Udu, and eventually, the toll it takes on them is that their bodies shut down, rendering them comatose before inevitable death. Yeah, you are communicating with, essentially, an eldritch god, so that makes sense. A, ve a very sad eldritch god. So, let's <laughs> see, yeah. Udu with the big butt, why does everyone so mean to me? <laughs> <laughs> Can't say it, can't say it right now, but some of the people at home are laughing. <laughs> so Kevin says, Shion, I became a testament to save you. It was the only way I could have the power. You have to come with me. Only Telos and I can protect you. And this is what gets Alan into the conversation. He starts going, why the fuck is Cosmos not enough protection? You made them both. Okay, interestingly, that can also be true if you think about the when they were in the the space area and you got the scene of Cosmos and Udu being equally matched. And if mm -hmm. Telos is stronger than Cosmos, that can also be true. Yeah, absolutely. God, Kevin at this point repeats that Cosmos is just a prototype made to gather data for Telos, which is so fucked up. And then he also I hate that it's Telos and not Telos, by the way. Hate mm -hmm. it. I. I'm just saying it like I know the Greek is pronounced, which is... That's okay. how they say it in the game, and I hate it. Okay, okay. I, I also want to say Telos every time if it helps. Kevin also shits on his first child by claiming that she got too close to Xion, and that, like, because Cosmos's power comes from touching Udu by using the, the Zohar as a power source and connection... Every time that Cosmos activates to do some fucking rock star shit, she is making Xion's condition worse, which is a deeply sad and troubling paradox. Kevin could be lying about this. I'm not sure. It is. You have no reason it, to not believe him, though. Yeah, it is. You're right. It is very interesting to. Well, no, there is a reason, which is that he doesn't he, he doesn't want them to have something as powerful as Cosmos at their disposal because it would fuck up his plans. But you're right, he, he could be telling the truth about this. The, the, the really interesting thing about the first, like, two-thirds of this conversation is that everyone besides Xion is talking about Xion this whole time, and Xion is just totally frozen. And so it's like everyone is... hard drive fragmentation sound? Yeah, yeah, for real. And it's, it's so it, it's a real elephant in the room situation. But the whole time I'm like, come on, Cosmos. Sorry. Come on, Shion. Stand up for yourself. Stand up for yourself. And she can't because she's like in the middle of the world's worst trauma hole. I get it. You cannot I, refer to a woman as the elephant in the room. You are fucking canceled. <laughs> oh, my God. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The most cancelable person on our podcast agrees with you. How does that make you feel? <laughs> also a good point i'll allow it <laughs> oh no i can't hear ryan oh my god <laughs> oh you're just laughing yeah no this is this is not the ryan rage silence this time this is just well, laugh, no you're like you're, you're you're like you're the way you laugh gets eaten by discord noise cancellation okay okay all right so like 
Udu and the Gnosis are connected, and Cosmos uses Udu to destroy the Gnosis. Interesting. Anyway, to absorb that, the Gnosis. Right. Okay. This begs the question, though: What the fuck powers Telos? Let's let's maybe revisit that later. Mm-hmm. Stem cell. <laughs> <laughs> we had so many realians on hand, we just figured eh, scrape a little off of each. Yeah, Adrenochromos. <laughs> Virgil is actually just like his belly is just a transportation mechanism for realian cells. Fuck. They just they just stomach pump them out of him later into Telos. No, it's like mm. civet coffee. He has to like shit shit it out. <laughs> well, this is a breakaway cloak. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> A very rare under her breath, Sybil. Oh my god, that never happens. <laughs> Powerful jokes. <laughs> the, also, this is where the extremely sad music starts when he says that thing about Cosmos. Shout outs to this understated piano track. Mm-hmm. Because you could get really dramatic, like orchestra shit here, but they go don't go there, and it's way better. The I'll Never Leave You Again continues, and Shion is preparing to run to Kevin when Jin steps between them, hand on his sword, and he says, Shion, I cannot let you leave here with him. What he's telling you right now may be plausible enough. However, I don't believe that he can be trusted. Kevin takes this calmly because he gets to be the good guy as Telos walks in to be the bad cop. And Shion begins pleading for Jin to move, and Jin's like, he's not, he's literally not the same person. He's like a monster now, homie. And she's like, <laughs> And she's like crying at this point, and it's just like, he's still the same man I knew. He's still my Kevin. Extremely sad. And then Junior does the thing that Junior is good at and starts trying to get Kevin. And Telos <laughs> just steps in, and Shion rushes over to stop him. Shion, not very smart, rushing in front of the man, actively firing guns. Uh, <laughs> and she's like, Why are you all doing this? She says, Why are you all interfering? Yeah, fuck off. Jin stops her from running to Kevin again, and this time he pushes her towards the arms of Cosmos. So Kevin orders Kevin orders Cosmos to bring his ex-girlfriend to their side. <laughs> Alan and Jin give the order to give Chion to safety. And after a moment, Cosmos speaks for the first time in hours and just says, Mr. Kevin Winnicott. I am not programmed to obey your commands. The cosmos you designed was destroyed by Telos. Fucking got his ass. Uh, I, the, my two notes here, one was, hell yeah, cosmos, and then immediately below, shit yeah, cosmos. I wrote down, hootin', comma, hollerin'. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only time Kevin breaks his nice guy cool facade, and he just snarls out, you dare to defy your creator? Cosmos tells Shion that they're leaving, and when Shion starts struggling, Cosmos just karate chops her unconscious and goes, action was required to avoid further danger. Let's go. Thank <laughs> you. Love- Thank you, Vegeta. <laughs> yeah. I love also that Cosmos finally, someone finally giving Alan credit for something because she's like, this model was built by Alan and some other people too. And I was just like, yes, yeah, Alan she, getting uh, credit. Yeah, Shion and yeah, Alan. Yeah, Shion Uzuki right. and Mr. Alan Ridgely. Hell yeah. And she then grabs Shion and cannonballs them both out of this fifth floor window. <laughs> oh, and the nice <laughs> slow-mo on the glass. Let's go. Mm-hmm. 
But before this can be a threat, Cosmos remembers, and thus everyone else remembers, she has a space bike that can materialize out of nowhere, and she starts flying them away through the sky, with Telos getting herself to a nearby rooftop, just shouting, You think you can run? Mm-hmm. Please cut that in, Matt, because Telos's emo- over-emotional voice acting is so much better than anything I can pull off with my range. It's a wonderful horror movie monster sound. She is mm. so mad sounding. Yes, it's wild. Cosmos, you think you can run? And she keeps real good pace until she suddenly finds herself under the feet of Kanan piloting E.S. Asher. Yeah. Telos is about to unleash her super on this mech, but Kevin tells her to stand down. We'll have plenty of opportunities. Mm. Real quick, Sybil, I saw Galnoid in the notes and I lost it. So thank you for that. That is an incredible word. As much as I was bothered by Gynoid, Galnoid just destroyed me. So for what it's worth... And it escaped my control F. That's that's because I said a decoy for Chris's control Fing. Originally, (laughs) that line said, Kevin orders the the Gynoid to bring his Galnoid to their side. (laughs) So he fixed one and missed the other two words away. I mean, I'm not going to read that. That's not highlighted in my color. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're about to get to the cutscene that the three of us were losing our shit over when I talked about it too early. So, Cosmos and Shion speed off into the distance, meeting up with the now-flying Elsa. Cosmos ramps the bike into the hangar. Extremely cool. It's great because she's, like, requesting a pickup, and the captain is like, hey, yeah, okay, but, like, don't scratch or damage the Elsa on your way up. And Cosmos is like, not a problem, and just right I will the do hangar, my best. Into the hangar. Yeah, And then everyone goes, wow, cool robot. Uh For what it's worth, because every animator in Japan, and let's be honest, a lot of Westerners love doing this, she does the fucking Akira bike turn landing it in the hangar. She has to, yeah. It's it's like a requirement at this point. And so then Mm -hmm. she informs the crew that the remainder of the party are still in Labyrinthos. Captain Matthews and Tony immediately set a course, flying the Elsa through the middle of a war zone city like bosses. With Gnosis all over in the yeah, sky. Yes, yes. And their other way to do their normal thing of just flying it directly into the building, like doing a 9-11. <laughs> That's what they always do. They do it every time. They do so many 9-11s. Wow. Uh-huh. Not wrong. <laughs> so. I guess at this point they're like 9-12, 9-13, and this one's 9-14. Yeah. God. Oh, so, one of my idiot coworkers pasted a bunch of shit into a spreadsheet that needed me to do it, but they didn't turn off the function that increments numbers. So it destroyed all of our part numbers by just counting them up 50 times. Oh yeah. my God. That rocks. Yeah. I had hate to, it. I was training someone yesterday over Teams and four separate times I was like, no, you have to convert them to number it was they were we were dealing with social security numbers and every time she tried to like drag the social Mm -hmm. thing down it would just increment it up i was like no we we need the social security numbers to stay the same like fuck yep okay so underneath the tower sellers confronts mizrahi who is messing around with the terminal turns out that yoki mizrahi is trying to force quit lemma 
even if it might mean destroying Milsha, because he'd rather risk that than risk ending the entire universe. Sellers, who is on Milsha, not very much a fan of this plan, but Mizrahi keeps himself strong and finishes his act. As he goes to leave, Sellers grabs him, and Mizrahi is done fucking around. So he draws a gun, but not only does he shoot Sellers, like we were talking about before, he specifically pauses and aims lower so that it goes through his fucking spine. Oh God, Rockstar moment. Yoki uh, Mizrahi. Also, Momo's- he says he does this to protect Momo, which is not in the generic, I need to protect the universe she lives in way. It's in the specific she's in this floating space station immediately next to the planet where all the gnosis are. Yes. Yeah. And also, he's trying to make it so it's like both protecting Momo in the immediate present and also trying to make it so that his research isn't the thing that dooms the universe, even if it means that that he becomes the villain of the universe retroactively. I'm not mistaken. Proto-Merkaba is here, right? Like, just out in orbit. No, that's the Song of Nephilim. Right, the Song of Nephilim is both a ship and the music itself, too. Okay. Yeah, reminder, Song of Nephilim is the little yeah, triangle no, space that. station. Yeah, Proto-Merkaba is the thing that looks like Final Destination. Right. Yeah, Merkaba's not here. Okay. So, like we've mentioned, Joachim Mizrahi, Momo's dad, is the reason why Sellers cannot walk in the present day, and he specifically made sure that it hurt as much as possible because he's sick as hell. He then walks to the elevator, telling his subordinate, this is how I take my responsibility. Oh, shout outs to the visual upgrades in Xenosaga 3, because when he's doing his f- sermon, you can see he's got like really good like John Ham flop sweat. Yes. Yeah. So he's up there doing his preacher thing again, but this time his sermon has a prologue and epilogue. The prologue is him wishing his daughter Momo well, saying, I sacrifice this planet and its inhabitants to you so that you may be born into a world of peace. Bad news, bucko. And (laughs) the epilogue is fucking metal. He says, Sakura, I doubt I will go where you are. You will probably admonish me for that which I have done. Going to hell. Peace out later. Yep. Yup. And then before we could hear him say anything more, he hears a noise and asks, who's there? And then he goes directly to hell as an explosion blows him off the building's roof. He hits the ground and his soul keeps going. (laughs) (laughs) His final final thoughts as he plummets are, Yuli, I'm so sorry. Please take care of Momo. Please take care of her child. And I got more bad news for you about Yuli. Elsewhere... Elsewhere in the building, or oh, it's she. Look, no, can't say that. I can say that, but it makes me say very horny. <laughs> Elsewhere in the building, a remaining party aren't. What? You are a very horny person, Chris. It's true. Look, I'm just saying you can look a lot like a mommy, but not be one. That's all I'm yeah. gonna say about Yuli. <laughs> ara ara. <laughs> Elsewhere in this building. That's the worst part- thing I'll say all day. <laughs> I don't believe that. Our party- That's <laughs> no, the worst thing you'll say on a recording. Our remaining party yeah, aren't faring so well as the tower begins to come apart while the song of Nephilim tries to lift off. Everyone realizes they have to leave, but Alan recalls, hey, wait, baby, Shion is here. And the ceiling just collapses nearby and no one can get to her. But the last thing we see is young Jin gently lifting his sister on the other side of the debris. I missed this because I was probably posting. However, our party has other problems, which are all solved by the Elsa pulling up to the side of the window. 
and they make their way off the planet, past the song, and everything is engulfed in a white light. We cut from this to Wilhelm's black void hangar where he is standing atop his robot again. As an orb begins glowing above him, he says the first awakening has proceeded smoothly. Kevin then shows up, agreeing because he's the only person who will answer Wilhelm's calls anymore, saying the remaining vessels of Anima will follow shortly. Wilhelm exposits the vessels of Anima are the body of God, divided by the saint, capital S, in ancient times to protect the universe from dissipation. We cannot allow the universe's failsafe to become active. We must control the body of God with our own hands. Kevin promises we shall return everything to the moment of beginning, and that's disc one. Some sort of neon genesis. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Good. This is so good. So, before we have our wrap-up thoughts about this fucking incredible climax to disc one, we have the database entry of the week. This database entry comes to us from We already listener. talked about this. We talked about this in Xenosaga 1. During the bad one. This pun, however, is all in the game. Read. Oh, right. So, yeah, we did explain this specifically, but it was, but we... <laughs> I cannot believe that the database also has this, even though we don't I, we don't need it in Xenosaga Also, 3. it was Ryan who said this. Yeah. Yes, but that last line is the entire reason we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, no! Yep. Yep. So, All right, let's do it. All right. Database entry number 69 is Pesh. This is not a joke. You can check. We want to restate that literally none of the next part of any of this is made up. So, French peche translates into English as peach, although similar in spelling, the French peche translates into English as sin. Yuck. 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 So, right. Albedos. Ah, ma belle peche. There is no need to tremble like that, else you'll make me feel like a peche myself. It's a French pun that makes reference to Momo's sin of being built atop the corpses of the Kirschwassers and also makes Albedo look just like the creepiest motherfucker imaginable. Here, also, the English translation for Momo is peach. Let's be real. There are a lot of other things that made Albedo look like the creepiest motherfucker alive. 100%. Yes. Yes. But yeah. The the thing Ryan is refusing to read is the line, this database entry ends with, the English translation for Momo is peach. Albedo truly is a cunning linguist. I think less of your friend now. Oh my God. Knowing that your friend probably wrote that. Oh. (laughs) Just Talking blame. Oh yes, yes. Blame all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I did check. That pun is the only bit that's changed because it is actually praising Albedo. They just put this into English in a more clever way. 
So I had to look. Cle- Clever's doing a lot of work there. Does uh, anyone have any closing thoughts on the content of this episode? Besides how this is the thing that makes a Xenosaga 3 like a top 10 like goat? Yeah, no, this this is one of the most successful emotional climaxes in a JRPG ever. I just full stop. It is so good. It is so good. I was shocked. I was dismayed. I almost cried a little bit. And then I was hooting and I was hollering. I was doing all that shit. It was, oh my God, it was so good. Shout outs to how the fireworks factory is people talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's pop back to Chris's comment about how this game definitely feels like multiple games stitched together and you can see where the ending is. Imagine if this was the finale to an entire game where the party was stuck back in time in Milsha. Yes, this is the finality to Xenosaga 3, the original Xenosaga 3. I think this would have been 4. Yeah. Because I, I feel like the cyber warfare with what's oh, his name yeah, yeah, yeah. would have um, been three. Voyager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting getting Cosmos back would have been the plot of three. Going back in time would have been four. I don't know if we get to a full six. I think, although I guess there is a divide that could be made on disc two, but I, I think everything else is a really rushed version of what was going to close yeah, out. Yeah. I'll tell, yeah. Well, what I'll tell you is that what we see for five and six is the stuff that was the most rough sketched, which is why there's not like a, probably not such a clean divide, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't yeah, as it's, well it's planned harder to it's tell. farther out. Yeah. Yeah. So I really want to contrast this because we've been hype about it a bunch and deservedly so, but this is something that JRPGs, especially of the PS1 and PS2 era, tried so much to have these, like, revelations mounting on top of each other, one after another, to try to create a feeling of the curtain being pulled back again and again and again, and you're seeing more and more of the conflict, and, like, it never works because they're adding unnecessary convolution, and this time, almost all of the mumbo-jumbo bullshit from the first two games was towards a purpose. And when we see that purpose coming home to roost, even if it wasn't planned out from the start, they made me give a shit retroactively way more about the events of Xenosaga 1 and 2 because it's like, oh my god, like the universe is collapsing in on itself and Shion is at the center of it and it's fucking her up so bad. Of like, It's just... It's incredible. I think one of the only like PS2 era emotional beats that work as well. Again, like this works as well as like when you find out that Titus is a ghost or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's up. It's and this is in the opposite direction, right? Yes. Like the opposite emotional direction. Yes. So, you know, the problem with Xenosaga 3 is that it's Xenosaga 3. And mm-hmm. it makes it impossible to recommend to anyone else, and almost yep. no one else will ever find out how good it is. Yeah, it's a supreme bummer. Especially, especially, yeah. Like, I wonder if the Xenosaga One Plus Two, if it had ever been localized, if it could have been a backdoor into Xenosaga Three. Except for maybe not, because some of the shit that they do to retcon plot points in the One Plus Two compilation would really jumble some of the Virgil stuff, in particular, in Three. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I mean, it would work to get people in the door because it's 60 hours. Sorry, it's like 50 hours instead of 70 hours and you don't have to play Zito Saga 2 combat. Right. But a big killer is you'd still also have to read a bunch of data log dumps about what happened to these characters between two games for a year. Absolutely, yes. Yes. Sybil, you talk a lot about the development and localization process feeling like the wheels falling off a cart as it's rolling down the hill. And all of that so far has been in like all of the stuff that they have to kind of hand wave or explain in outside materials. It is shocking how well the actual meat of disc one holds together with what Mm -hmm. they were trying to accomplish here. And there's a lot of stuff that I feel would have been explored more in a fuller version of this arc based on where some of the things in a missing year or other content went. Like, there's a character in a missing year who was involved or tangential to the experiments at this facility. Mm. They see Jin for the first time and they are having flashbacks because they remember Suo and they've got the same face. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of stuff involving this bloodline. There's, I guarantee, especially since we only see like two cuts of the dude, there would have been more of what young Jin is doing on this planet. Mm -hmm. We would have explored more of Pelligree. We probably would have explored more of the Jin-Suo relationship, Mm -hmm. which we don't see any of. Mm -hmm. And also, it's possible that all of the Mizrahi sellers stuff plus the Voyager Ziggy stuff could have tied these revelations into the Life Recycling Act shit that was clearly supposed to be another huge philosophical through line for Xenosaga that mostly got explored in one and then a missing year and then has primarily dropped from the story at this point. Pied Piper too. Pied Piper as well. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I... This chunk of the game is the one that most makes me think Chris's theory is correct because you can see the edges. You can see where they're acknowledging things like everyone avoiding using Xion's name next to young Xion because they're worried about the timeline and trying to keep her from questioning that. But we're also investigating and people are picking up on, you got Uzuki face. Mm-hmm. And... Someone was obviously considering that in the writer's room, but it got chopped because we needed to keep the pace going. Right. Resting Uzuki face. Hate it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> she has those eyes. <laughs> God, Margulis, just fuck already. <laughs> you know, I think that this game would be more about the life. The previous game would be more about the life recycling act too, because you interact with Voyager so much Mm -hmm. and Voyager Mm -hmm. and Ziggy's relationship is inherently about the life recycling act. Absolutely. hundred percent, hundred percent. But that's yeah. I, I don't think I have much more to say this time because now I have to really start watching my mouth about what's revealed. Mm. Can't did mono. I'm so bummed that, Monolith Soft got bought. Yeah. I'll never get this. I'll never get Xenosaga done the correct way, and I want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love for them to spend a Square Enix Final Fantasy VII remake amount of money and time on Xenosaga. Just so bring it back, remake it, let's go. 
Let's be real here. It's more likely to happen, but they're busy right now. They're busy making Breath of the Wild, which sucks. Make a better game. Make Xenosaga again. Well, with some of the stuff in the Chronicles 3 trailer, who knows if they're trying? It's a visual reference. It will amount to nothing. I've also been told some of the ending of Chronicles 2 leans in this direction. Yeah. Yeah. I am interested because... I mean, bottom line, the writing in Chronicles 1 and 2 is markedly worse than the writing in Saga, at least Saga 1 and 3. So, 2 is way worse than you could even imagine. And the problem with 1 is that they were responding to folks who were turned off by the convoluted space opera nature of Xenosaga, and they were like, okay, we need to simplify it. We can still do our monolith soft bullshit, but it has to be, like, at the back half of the game, and we have to have a much simpler story of, like, revenge before then. But Those what people that are wrong. Up, yeah, they are, because what that ends up doing is it creates a tremendous amount of emotional disconnect when the Takahashi signature bullshit actually starts revealing itself it's like, okay, but I just spent 35 hours... The first half of the game hours... is about nothing! Yeah, exactly. I just spent the first 35 hours of the game doing literally nothing, and now you expect me to care about this shit. And this shit is much more interesting, but you've just gone through a 30-hour game of basic-ass bullshit to get there. Oh, buddy. So Xenosaga 2. Xenoblade... <laughs> no. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is even worse about this. Mm. Because it's the first 60 hours of the game... And only the last 10 hours matter, really. Uh, yeah, that unacceptable. Matter in a in a cosmological way beyond finding out that the boss is evil because they're sad. <laughs> right. Also literally true. And also one of the only good ones of those. Mm. Do you guys have any commercials to share with the listeners? You can find me, my writing, and all my other projects at hellscaper.com. I have no commercials because I am overhauling my shit because I am actually making new music for real this time and it sounds good, so I'm going to share it soon. So fuck off and don't visit my websites yet. You can listen to Riot and Ice podcast, Icons and Icons, by visiting our Patreon at pitchdrop.cash and kicking in as little as a buck a month. It's this podcast, but about Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO. We just talked about Beard Daddy today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we forgot to talk about how bad Ramu's voice acting is. Not like the voice acting is bad, but the audio is so low quality. Beard Daddy? <laughs> His name's Beard. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm going to send you a picture of Ramu's beard once we end this episode. That's oh, all until Ramu. next okay, time. Okay, that makes sense. What? No, it's yeah. the best Ramu beard of all time. Okay. That's all until next time when we'll be talking about the worship Merkaba and ending when we return to the Elsa. Peace out, fuckers. Bye. Flute sound. And wait for tomorrow.